0: What are 81 bonds and why are credit suisse bonds wiped out? Let's find out more in today's episode. From Bond Supermark. welcome to another episode of our podcast series where we share with you about newborn issues and hold discussions on the fixed income market. So there are many different ways to rank or categorize bonds. For example, we see banks issue by tiers such as additional tier 1, tier 2, or even tier 3. Today we'll be looking into this ranking system with a focus on 81 bonds. We will also be discussing the crisis surrounding Credit Suisse 81 bonds with our guest speaker, Fixed Income Analyst Wong Deeming. Hi Diming. Hello! Thank you for joining us. Alright, so let's begin with understanding what are Tier 1, Tier 2 and Tier 3 capital?
1: Basically, these are all requirements under the Basel Accord, uh, which provides regulation on banking financial institutions. The capital simply meant that the bank needs to maintain a certain level of cash or liquid assets on its weighted risk assets. Uh, These capitals, tiers uh, are used to absorb any losses first before depositors or creditors. So Tier 1 is classified into Common Equity Tier 1 and there's also Additional Tier 1, which CET1 capital is of the highest quality regulatory capital as it absorbs Any losses immediately as it happens. AT1, on the other hand, it absorbs losses through writing down or also the conversion of debt as it occurs and triggered. Tier 1 capital generally consists of the bank's core capital, includes disclosed reserves plus equity capital. On the other hand, Tier 2 is its supplementary capital, which generally is a little bit more difficult to liquidate. Then the Tier 3, it is a little bit more special, which has been abolished under the Basel Tree Accords. It's mainly to support the market risk uh, by the bank's trading activities.
0: I see. Okay, so it's actually composed of three levels like you have mentioned, but um, why do banks need such a system?
1: So excluding Tier 3 that got removed with the update of the Basel 3 Accords, uh, all the banks actually now categorizes their capital by CT1, AT1 and also tier 2. These tiers are actually quite important for banks and also investors to actually examine and keep track of the balance sheet of the banks. Whether they are able to absorb any losses should it happen else the depositors and creditors will actually risk losing their money. The various ratios on the different tiers of capital are now a key metric to look at in terms of the performance of the bank, uh, how strong and how safe the bank is. I think the easiest reference for us will actually be the 2008, the global financial crisis, which ultimately we saw the fall of several major, supposedly too big to fail financial institutions, which ultimately was due to the oversight in financial regulations. So these tiers that we actually see today, like characterized by a lot of different rounds of uh, revision, is driven by the need to have strict financial regulations applicable to banks across the globe. And such strict financial Regulations are actually quite necessary to safeguard common folks like us to prevent we us losing our money, sir.
0: So. Mm, I see. Okay. Understand that such safeguards are definitely necessary. We need them. Um. I'm just curious as to whether the same system applies to other industries or is it just the banks?
1: Currently, this steering system primarily applies to the banks due to the need for strict banking regulation. But what I understand is that actually some other financial institutions also follow certain criteria and or requirements of the Basel III Accord as well, likely to make it easier to appeal to certain investors since they can Mm. draw a comparison against the bonds of such banks.
0: Okay, so you Um, mentioned AT1s and from what I recall, they are part of a family of bank capital securities known as contingent convertibles or COCOs. So what exactly is AT1 and are COCO and AT1 bonds the same?
1: Actually, the name uh, contingent convertible comes directly from a Loss absorption feature found in most AT1 bonds. Okay. Which is that upon a contingency event by the bank itself, when a bank's capital adequacy ratio falls below a certain threshold, the bond will actually convert into equity as a measure of loss absorption. Beyond contingency events, it may actually also happen under the trigger of a viability event. When regulators deem that a trigger is necessary in order to prevent the bank from being insolvent or becoming bankrupt, which that was what happened to Credit Suisse, CT1 ratio does not need to fall below the CT1 threshold for such a viability event to occur. Uh, back to the conversion of equity, what it means is that it's actually the perpetual bond will be converted into the underlying shares of the issuer based on a multitude of factors be it conversion ratio, uh, purchase price, uh, nominal value of shares. The specific variable components and calculation methodology ultimately are usually provided in the offering-related documents and the investors should note that converted ordinary shares may be worth significantly less than the eighty-one bonds itself. Uh, all of these loss absorption clauses they are found in all the subordinated bonds which beyond 81 uh, perpetuals the bonds we also see them in the tier 2 bonds itself Loss absorption may be either a conversion into equity or it could be a write-off of the debt into nothing which means a written down okay. uh, a write-off can be partial or in full uh, which upon occurrence of the trigger event, it can happen. Once written off, any principles or distributions will be extinguished and will not be restored in any circumstances. Okay. And perpetual bondholders will not be able to claim any amount that is written off. So while COCO, that name, applies to most 81 bonds, some of the 81 bonds actually only have a write-down clause. So they don't have the conversion. Although most of the 81 bonds are on an either-or basis depending on the regulatory authority. Uh, technically, now we do see COCO bonds being used uh, quite commonly in, across everything. Mm. Sometimes it might be also be referring to eighty one bonds with only a write-down clause. So investors kind of have to be really careful with these kind of features.
0: Okay, so speaking of 81s, I think many will recall the rather recent credit at 81 bonds wipeout, right? Um but for our mm. listeners who are not familiar with this matter, do you mind to help share and let us know um what give us a brief summary on how Credit Suisse ended its over 100 years run.
1: Right. Um, actually, prior to the incident itself, the whole banking crisis, things were already not looking too well for Credit Suisse. Um, on the backdrop of like quite a couple of scandals over the years, particularly the most important one being the Archegos, uh Capital, mm-hmm. it was already in the midst of uh, restructuring their plans, uh, how they are how they operate in their business. They also intend to actually cut its investment banking division and also to reduce costs across the division. So since like late last year, twenty twenty two, it was seeing uh, a lot of client outflows from the bank. Actually, after the restructuring plans was announced by Credit Suisse. But most importantly, the shares of Credit Suisse it plunged very badly when its largest shareholder, Saudi National Bank. Mm. At a point of time, they made a comment right after the Silicon Valley Bank incident that they will not be increasing their stake over 10%. Oh no.
0: <laughs>
1: While the comment was actually made due to regulatory concerns mm, because mm. they have to, uh, they have some other concerns when it goes over 10%, mm. the market did not take the comment very lightly which the share price of Credit Suisse fell by almost 28% just from this announcement itself. Okay. The Swiss Financial Market uh, Supervisory Authority, FINMA, and mm. the Swiss National Bank, they tried to reassure the market and also extending a loan facility of like uh, Swiss francs 50 billion to Credit Suisse. So despite uh, Credit Suisse getting all the help that it could have gotten, uh, they continue to see uh, massive outflows of client funds. So over that particular weekend, FINMA decided that it will be best for UBS to merge with Credit Suisse or rather the the reverse whereby UBS will offer a buyout for Credit Suisse okay. in order to protect the confidence of the Swiss banking sector. As a result of the merger in which uh, FIMA they actually cited higher capital buffers required by regulation for UBS about cre- Swiss francs uh, 16 billion worth of Credit Suisse 81 bonds all of it was written off to nothingness. Okay. So the SWIFT action by the regulatory authority which was FIMA definitely sent the world into quite a big shock especially for the eighty-one investors who were still expecting the equity to suffer uh, losses first before their turn. So the shock also quickly turned into anger because now uh, some of the eighty-one bondholders for Credit Suisse they are actually contemplating legal action against the Swiss authority Finma. Although FIMA they also did highlight that uh, they had all the legal rights in writing down the eighty-one one bonds that was already written inside the clauses itself.
0: Mm, okay, so actually, you know, eighty ones ones they are meant to absorb losses and they rank higher than shares in the capital structure of a bank, right? So if a bank runs into trouble, then bondholders will rank above shareholders in terms of getting their money back. But as you have mentioned, it seems like that wasn't quite the case for Credit Suisse. So can you help us understand why that happened?
1: For Credit Suisse, right, um, it was understood that the principal write down was just a discretionary trigger activated by the decision of the local regulator, which mm. was FIMA. Uh which ultimately it was a very rough decision. Uh over the few days seeing the merger between uh, UBS and Credit Suisse. Okay. So of course there was expectations, right? Expecting that the common stock under the C T one ratio, a C T one capital, sorry, to absorb losses first, which actually it mm. did. Okay. Uh which it got reduced on an ongoing basis as the bank incurred losses. All right. uh, but the investors, most of the investors actually believe that the value of the existing shares should be reduced to nothing first before the bonds should take losses. Okay. But also coming back to FEMA's context, coming from a regulatory context. AT1 uh, bonds actually only rank higher in seniority upon the event of a bank liquidation, which if the bank completely falls over, that wasn't the case for Credit Suisse because ultimately it accepted the buyout to UBS.
0: I see. Okay. Um, then what does this mean for investors and how does it translate to the broader market?
1: It is, at the point of time, it was quite scary for investors who initially thought that they would be adequately protected only to see the shareholders getting favoured. Because with the buyout itself, what happened was that uh, shareholders of Credit Suisse right, still managed to get some form of compensation while 81 bonds mm. was completely written off to mm. nothingness, to zero. Uh, the majority of 81 bonds issued by banks right, were... Actually, they fell sharply as a result of the Credit Suisse 81 bondholders suffering a much bigger losses than shareholders, uh, which the market finds it very difficult to un- understand the rationale behind the regulator's decision. Okay. So a large part of the fear is actually coming from the regulator, like people were scared of the regulator, which the incident had shown that they, the regulators could do anything in their ability right, to prevent failure of the banks. It carries a message that the regulators may freely utilize the loss-absorbing trigger if other banks fall into the uh, into trouble in the future at the detriment of the bondholders as compared to shareholders. So of course, uh, coming in to calm the markets down and attempting to dispel such fears, uh, regulators from other countries from all over the globe, uh, they have actually issued uh, statements to actually climb the 81 bondholders. Singapore, uh, Monetary Authority of Singapore, Uh, MES, they actually issued a statement to say that they will abide by the hierarchy of claims during a liquidation. This means that equity shareholders will actually absorb losses first before A-T1 and Tier 2 bondholders. In the same manner, for European and UK banking regulators, they also issued similar messages to 81 bondholders. With the single resolution board, mm. the European Banking Authority and the ECB Banking Supervision in a joint statement, they have stated that creditors will only bear losses after equity holders have been wiped out while the Bank of England for UK have stated that UK have a clear statutory order for bearing losses with 81 bonds ranking ahead of equity shareholders. Okay.
0: Thank you for the very clear explanation. And actually, for more details and insights on this credit series banking crisis, right, um, we do have research articles published on our website, Bonds for My website, right?
1: Yes. So uh, our colleagues have uh, spent a lot of efforts to come up with these research yes. articles to give you a very good insights over the banking crisis which started ever since the Silicon Valley Bank. Mm. So we detailed the merger between Credit Suisse and UBS and also what happens to 81 bonds after the wipeout.
0: Correct. Including the implications, right? Yes. Alright. Okay. Any final word of advice for investors going ahead, going forward?
1: I think most importantly coming to uh, 81 bonds, the recent incidents made very clear the risk that has to be undertaken for investing into such bonds, and investors have to really price in such risk before making any decisions. Two important takeaways for 81 bonds to remember. Firstly, is that 81 bonds are ultimately bank capital instruments that are designed to absorb losses during an insolvency event. And loss absorption should be expected whenever a bank liquidation is uh, imminent. Uh, secondly, as 81 bonds are perpetual in nature, it is at a bank's sole discretion to call back the bonds. So it should not be assumed that the banks will actually call back the bonds on the first call date itself. So these two factors should always be a primary consideration and always be on top of everyone's mind when coming to make the correct decision in buying AT1 bonds.
0: Okay, thank you very much for joining us today. Glad to have you share on the bank's capital structure and also helping us make sense of the credit series wipeout. So this episode was brought to you by Bond Supermart I'm Feng Yi and our guest speaker with us today is Wong Timing Fixed Income Analyst with IFAS Singapore Follow Bond Supermart on Twitter, Facebook and Telegram To get first-hand updates on newborn issues, credit updates and special events For bond information and articles, visit our website bondsupermart.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon